from WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. On today's show, American Public Media is launching a new podcast all about the impacts of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill 13 years after the disaster. Host Dan Leone joins us for more. Plus, journalist Jeremy Hobson joins us to discuss his talk show, The Middle, which aims to amplify the missing pieces of national political conversations. But first, Jackson, Mississippi is known for its water, and not in a good way. Beyond the attention-grabbing boil water notices, residents have had to deal with expensive and inaccurate water bills for years. For the latest Utility Bill of the Month, Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom brings us the story of how one Jackson resident's fighting for accurate bills. If you've ever tried to read your water bill, it can feel like you need to be a lawyer to figure it out. Or an accountant. Lucky for James Henley, he's both. And after his November Facebook post about his water bill, he could add a new title. It got so many reads that Facebook sent me something that said I could become an influencer if I wanted to. (laughs) That was hilarious. Before we get to the post, Henley's got another title to cover, Jacksonian. His home city of Jackson, Mississippi, made headlines in 2022 after it went without safe drinking water for nearly two months. But water problems have been going on here long before then. Most people in Jackson have never drank Jackson water. <laughs> they bought bottled water. The problem was you would bathe in it and you would cook with it and you would wash your dishes with it. But you couldn't really do that anymore either. And beyond the health concern, there are those bills. Jackson has a long history of water bills that are often expensive, inaccurate, and sometimes just missing. To fix all of that, a district judge appointed a third-party manager to run Jackson's water system. New water meters are being installed across the city. And by the fall, Jackson Water believed it was in good enough shape to start holding people to their bills. If you live here in the capital city, Jackson Water says it will begin cutting off your water service if you have not paid your water bill. The shutoffs have been pushed back, and Henley was not in danger of having his water cut off. But he decided to put his forensic accounting certification to use and challenge his bills. When I heard that they were saying, we're going to start cutting off poor people's water because they haven't paid these extravagant bills that we sent them. And I sat down and said, well, that doesn't make any sense because these bills are based on false data. Basically, Henley felt shutoffs were not justified because the bills for some Jackson customers like him are not based on their actual water usage. Instead, they're estimates. That's the case for anyone who doesn't have a new water meter yet. Jackson Water says those estimates are based on other people's meters. Now, Jackson Water says it won't cut off water for anyone without that new meter, and those estimates are based on other people's readings. Henley was getting charged roughly 160 bucks a month for a one-story home he owns. That's a good amount for a house. But the thing is, he uses the house as a law office. He's only there a couple times a week. 160 bucks for water he barely ran just didn't make any sense. Obviously, you have to go to the restroom. Obviously, you have to wash your hands. I'm not cooking here. I'm not bathing here. I'm not doing anything here that would raise my bill to that extent. And so I said, get someone out here to read my meter. And after two months of calls and emails to Jackson Water, on the day that meter reading was finally supposed to happen, Henley took out his phone and recorded. Jackson Water, family sent someone out to read my meter. Problem is, my meter hasn't been read in so long, they can't figure out where the meter is. So the next day, two workers came. All right, they're back, looking for my meter today. They eventually found it and dug it up. 
And the amount of water listed on the meter was way less than the number on his bill, like off by more than 230,000 gallons. So Henley did what any good accountant would and made a spreadsheet. He crunched the numbers to figure out the difference between what Jackson Water was charging him and what they should have charged him based on how much water he actually used. He realized Jackson Water owed him $3,200, and he let them know. And they adjusted my water meal by the $3,208, gave me a credit. So you said they owed you $3,200 and they gave you $3,200? Right, because it was based on their meter readings. Were, were you like... Yes, we did it. Well, no, what I did was I said, now I'm going to tell everybody else to tell them to come read their water beater and to follow this example that I said of how to analyze it. Which he put in that popular November Facebook post. The one Facebook said made him worthy of the title influencer. You know, like a spreadsheet trendsetter. I have a text from a guy who said his church got a $3,200 refund uh, from following this logic. Jackson Water disputes Henley's version of what happened, but would not explain why. There's one more title Henley has, pastor, at Fresh Start Christian Church. He's got faith the situation with Jackson's water will be resolved. The system is also underfunded, and years of missing bills haven't helped. Henley agrees with the utility that fixing it means people need to pay for water. He just wants them to pay for the water they actually use. I think that they're attempting to bill everybody finally. The problem is how they're billing them. Yeah, and if they straighten that out, it's going to get better. Jackson Water says most of the new water meters are installed across the city. Henley's still waiting for his. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership among public radio stations in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. Last April marked the 13th anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon spill, when an oil rig leased by the company BP exploded in the Gulf of Mexico, just 41 miles off the coast of Louisiana. Eleven were killed, 17 injured, and in the years since, many have been impacted by the environmental damage of the country's largest oil spill. This month, American Public Media and Western Sound launched a new podcast about the spill and its lasting effects. Writer and host Dan Leone joins us now for more. Dan, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks. A lot of people were aware of the gravity of the spill at the time it occurred, but here we are 13 years later. Can you just remind us of just how much land was damaged and, and what the immediate impacts were? Well, the immediate impacts of the spill, I mean, it, the spill was sort of a slow-moving disaster, right? Um, the blowout occurred on April 20th, 2010. Massive oil rig off the coast of your beautiful state exploded, and from there, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 million gallons started spilling into the Gulf of Mexico over the course of the next, uh, you know, three months. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I mean, thousands and thousands of fisheries were closed, untold numbers of, of wildlife perished. I mean, thousands of miles of coastline, um, loss of livelihood were the immediate effects. Uh, it, it was, it was, absolutely devastating mm -hmm. um, to, to, the, to the Gulf, yeah. And here we are a decade later. What are some of the lasting environmental effects that we've seen? So one of the things about Ripple that, that we try to do is we're interested in going back to stories that we sort of think we know, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that we realized as we were beginning to produce Ripple was that the environmental effects were fairly well understood, 
outside of the Gulf of Mexico. You hear about an oil spill, you see kind of images on the news of pelicans covered in oil, and you sort of have an understanding that an oil spill equals a lot of dead wildlife, and it's very bad for the environment, certainly very bad for the fish. And what wasn't really as understood outside of the Gulf, and what we really focus on in Ripple is actually the human health impacts of the spill. And what exactly were the methods that were used to clean up the spill and who was cleaning up the spill? So we actually in Ripple do not focus all that much on the environmental impacts of the oil spill. We focus primarily on the human health impacts of the spill. Mm-hmm. And my going back and rereading things about the Deepwater Horizon, I didn't realize they did as much burning of the spilled oil, for example, and just flaming, what looked like flaming water out in the Gulf of Mexico. There there had to have been health impacts from that. Well, let me tell you, um, one of the things that we looked into, we were, we were looking at immediate uh, health impacts. So one of the things that's interesting about this disaster was how publicized it was, how televised it was. It was very easy to televise because there was a leaking wellhead with a camera, oil spewing out into the Gulf. They can't close the wellhead. They didn't have a method to close it. So for three months, they're trying to close this and oil is spilling uncontrollably. They weren't able to stop the flow for three months. And so you have a problem. You have a bunch of oil on the top that's heading towards the coastline and you have to do something about that because once it reaches the coastline and starts getting into the sand and then it can stay there for literally a century i'm not being hyperbolic so one of the mitigation efforts that they used was burning the oil right Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we did was we went back and we listened to every single press conference we basically relived the uh cleanup efforts. We relived those three months. And in those press conferences, we came across a medical incident that didn't get a lot of attention outside of the the Gulf Coast. But on May 26th, 2010, it's about a month into the spill, there was a medical emergency where seven cleanup workers had to be medevaced. Uh, off of their vessels to a hospital on shore, mm-hmm. right? And also 125 boats were recalled from the Gulf of Mexico as a precaution. And at the time, you had representatives from the Coast Guard and BP sort of suggesting several possible causes of these of the symptoms that these workers were experiencing. They cited heat exhaustion, chemical sensitivity, food poisoning. But then you also had reporters at the time saying that the emergency was caused by chemical exposure, chemical poisoning. And we, uh, 13 years later in the series, go back um, and try to get to the bottom of this incident. At the time, it was reported that um, the Coast Guard, British Petroleum and OSHA would be investigating uh, what happened. And we also get to the bottom of whether or not those investigations took place. We're speaking with Dan Leone, writer and host of the New American Public Media podcast, Ripple, about the 2010 Deepwater Horizon spill. What do we know about the correlation between this kind of disaster cleanup and disease? Do you explore that? Absolutely. Um, so one of the things, you know, uh, this this impacted South Louisiana, so I may be telling you all things that you already know. But one of the main things that happened after the spill is that all these fishermen lost their livelihoods in an instant. It was just gone. 
some of these people have been doing these jobs for generations mm -hmm. and they couldn't anymore. So they were offered a program called the Vessels of Opportunity, which is basically since you can't fish, we will hire you to clean up the spill. And thousands volunteered for this. We spoke with many Vessels of Opportunity workers, and um, a lot of them were reporting to us some some pretty serious uh, health problems. We heard a combination of acute symptoms at the time and symptoms now to this day. We've heard reports of uh, sinusitis, neuropathy, memory loss, cognitive difficulty, decreased lung function, respiratory problems, um, all the way up to cancers, uh, blood cancers, acute myeloid leukemia, mm -hmm. and lymphoma. Now, as far as the link between um, the oil spill and these conditions, that is a rich controversy, which we spend multiple episodes diving into. Mm -hmm. It is very contentious. This argument is taking place currently in hundreds of lawsuits uh, that continue to this day. One of the people that we spoke to actually had his lawsuit uh, dismissed three weeks before we interviewed him. So this is very much an ongoing uh, issue. This, this, this oil spill is really not over, certainly in the mm -hmm. legal sense. It is absolutely not over. By focusing on the people who were involved, um, how do their individual stories push the larger story forward? Well, they are the ones who are pushing the story forward. I think if it were not, and, and to be clear, I went down to the Gulf Coast to live for, for many, many weeks um, in the production of this story. And uh, I, I think a lot of them feel that if it weren't for their lawsuits or them desperately kind of screaming for media to keep covering it, then this story would be over. Mm -hmm. So it, it is it is really their, their kind of howls into the night that are keeping this story going. It is entirely their willingness to share their stories and continue to talk about it that is keeping this story going. Um, there are also um, other figures, including a, a marine toxicologist named Ricky Ott, and Ricky Ott lived through the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska, right? Mm -hmm. And that happened in the 80s. And when she saw the, the blowout, she was very, very concerned about health impacts. And so she kind of descended upon the Gulf to warn people, um, hey, you need to get out of here. You need to be careful. These are the mitigation efforts that they're using to clean the spill. Watch out for yourself. She has been entrenched in a legal battle with the EPA for the last decade. Mm -hmm. um, so there are also people who really will not allow um, the authorities to forget this. Um, and she's certainly one of those figures. And they also are keeping this story going and saying, hey, look, just because the national attention is sort of moved on does not mean that we're going to let you forget the consequences of, of this. Dan Leone, writer and host of the new American public media podcast, Ripple. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. As a consumer of news and information, you've no doubt noticed at times the coast-centric news, the default to the polarized, democratic, republican extremes in the coverage. A familiar voice to public radio listeners has created a show that's airing Thursday nights at 8 on WWNO and WRKF that's seeking to widen the discussion, it's called The Middle, and it's coming to New Orleans tonight. Joining us is the executive producer and host, Jeremy Hobson. Jeremy, thanks for being here. It's great to be here. 
What do you mean by the middle? Well, when we started this uh, project, which was back in 2022, I did four pilot episodes around the midterm elections. And the idea in the beginning was the geographic middle of the country. I'm from central Illinois, and it was about bringing the voices of people who don't live in the Northeast bubble, don't live on the West Coast, into the national conversation. Because as we know, they are extremely important in our politics, but often ignored by the national media. So that was the original idea. And then when we started doing the show, a lot of people heard the middle and thought of different things. They thought, oh, I love this because I'm in the political middle and I don't feel like I have a voice in our media. Or, you know, I want to meet in the middle uh, on issues and I want to hear from people who disagree with me. Um, and Or I'm in the philosophical middle, whatever that means. And so we said, okay, the middle is what you want it to mean. And as we have evolved the show over the last year and a half, it has become um, the middle, bringing the voices of the geographic, political, and philosophical middle into the national conversation every week. Mm -hmm. Is it the result of uh, the national news media not giving them much attention, having reporters from the coast travel out there and put on jeans and roll up their sleeves and attempt to talk to people? Absolutely, it is. I mean, we just saw the entire national media, you know, jump into Iowa for a week before the Iowa caucuses and talk to people. I will tell you that having grown up in Illinois, my experience could not be more different than somebody in Iowa or somebody in Indiana or somebody in Wisconsin. These are different places. They're very diverse. I think a lot of the people on the coasts, and I've lived on the coast for many, many decades. Um, not many, many decades. I'm not that old, but I've lived on the coast for decades. And uh, I know you know, how people view it. They, they see this like huge blob in the middle of the country that's all one thing and everybody's the same. And that's not the case at all. As you know, that is absolutely... Uh, not the case at all. But the other thing is, I think if you look at the the television media right now, you really do have a focus on the extremes. Uh, you do not see people that are in the more moderate part of our politics mm -hmm. getting a voice on a regular basis. It's whatever is the loudest voice that gets out there. And the fact is, most people aren't there. And so we're trying to give voice to that middle, um, whatever that middle is and we're we're hearing it every week because we've got people calling in from all over the country that are bringing voices that you just don't hear anywhere else in the media is that just lazy journalism or sensationalism i don't want to say lazy because as you know you know journalism is in a really difficult spot right now and they just don't have the resources to do what needs to be done i have been surprised at how difficult it is for some people some journalists to get outside of their own bubble and say let me go find people that don't agree with me let me go find people that have a different uh, background a different view on on things and and i think that it's really important to do that uh, and so that's what we're trying to do since the show premiered what have you found in your discussions from the middle. Anything surprise you? Absolutely. I mean, we did an episode about um, climate change and how climate change was affecting people uh, wherever they are in the country. And you know what came up more than anything was people wanted to talk about nuclear power. So that was interesting. Um, but also, you know, we did an episode just days after the uh, Hamas attack in Israel. We changed the topic of our show, which is on Thursday. That attack happened on a Saturday. And we said, we've got to do something on this. It's a huge story. And so we, we and my producers were like, are you crazy? You're going to open up the phones across the country on this issue. People are so passionate about it. It could really get ugly. And I was like, let's think of a question that we could ask. And so we said, what are your questions about the implications of this war for the United States and for the region? And what we found is 
people actually were willing to have a, a reasonable, civil, respectful discussion. There, were, there was a Palestinian American who called in from Houston. There were Jewish Americans who called in from places like Pittsburgh. There was a veteran who called in from Arlington, Virginia. And it was actually really interesting to hear that people could have a, a reasonable conversation on even a topic like that. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Jeremy Hobson, creator and host of The Middle Heard Thursday nights at 8 p.m. on WRKF and WWNO. Tell us about the current conversations you're having on the middle as we're approaching the next election. What What's the middle been exploring? Yeah, so last week we did an episode about China and about the United States relationship with China, what it should look like. Um, the week before that, we talked about immigration and border security, which of course has been a big topic in the campaign. And actually, this is another point about our show. I don't want to get into horse race politics. We are not going to be doing, you know, Trump is up or Haley is up or Biden is up or whatever. That's not our, that's not the point of our show. But what we do want to do is focus on the issues that are important to voters ahead of the election. And so as we thought about what could we do leading into Iowa, we looked at the, there's a Des Moines Register poll that had come out and found that one of the very top issues for voters in Iowa, Republican voters in Iowa was immigration and border security. So we said, okay, let's ask everybody across the country, what do they think should be done about immigration and border security? Tonight, in New Orleans, and we had a wonderful conversation with the staff at WWNO uh, about what topics we could explore. And the one that we chose was school choice, which you know in Louisiana could become a thing very, very soon because now you've got a Republican governor, Republican uh, legislature, and they're all on the same page about uh, offering the opportunity for people to take public funds and use them um, even in private schools. So we're gonna tackle that question tonight and we'll see how it goes. So how do you select the places you pick for your topics? What goes into matching the two of them together? Well, so we want to get out on the road once a month leading up to the election this year. Uh, And we're going to, we'll be in New Orleans tonight. We're going to be in Salt Lake City next month. We're going to be in Denver the month after that. You know, we have this wonderful world of public radio stations. The the middle is now on over 400 public radio stations Mm -hmm. and it's about, you know, connections. And I I reached out to the, uh, the manager of WWNO uh, who I know, and and said, you know, would you be interested in having us come and do a show from there? And he said, absolutely. So it, it really is about getting all around the country. I want to get into every region of the country um, ahead of the election. It's been over a decade since public radio did a national call-in show. Was that the big gamble? I think it is important to give people the opportunity to take part in the conversation. I also think it's important to have some content on public radio that is not decided by an editor somewhere who says like, we will allow this to be on, but not that. This really puts a little more power of what we're talking about in the hands of the listeners. And I think so far it has been such a great uh, experiment. You're right, it is the only you know live national talk show in the country that takes live calls because shows like 1A, they don't take live calls. So you call and you leave a voice message and then they call you back. I think there's something really great about live too. Uh, it just has an air of unpredictability about it. And um, I, I like that. Some people don't like that. I like that. And I think uh, it's been really nice to have to have calls. If you haven't tried it, give it a listen. The Middle with Jeremy Hobson tonight at 8 p.m. in New Orleans talking about school choice. You can hear it on WRKF and WWNO. Jeremy, thanks for being with us. I'd like to visit with you more on another occasion. Thank you so much. 
from WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Thanks to our guests, Dan Leone, host of the American public media podcast, Ripple, and Jeremy Hobson, journalist and host of the political talk show, The Middle. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our assistant producer, Aubrey Procell. Our engineer, Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouses.com with additional support from Southern Strategy Group.